Shabbat Shalom. Mizmor Shir Leyom HaShabbat. Tov lehodot ladonai ulizamer lishimcha elyon. Lehagid baboker chazdecha veemunatcha valelot. Psalm 92, the words I just said, begins with a psalm, a song for the Shabbat day. It is good to praise God, to sing hymns to your great name, to proclaim your loving kindness at daybreak, and your emunah, your faith, each night. According to this psalm, the psalm that is connected to Shabbos, each night before we go to sleep, we should acknowledge our faith in God. How do we know? What proof do we have that we will actually wake up in the morning when we go to sleep at night? According to Rav Nachman of Bratslav, it's necessary to believe in the Kodesh Baruch Hu, in the Holy Blessed One, by way of emunah and not by way of proof. We don't need proof, we just need emunah. We need a little faith. In our Betzedek daily Tanakh group, we've been studying this week the book of Nehemiah. And this man, Nehemiah, oof, he had serious emunah, bitachon, he had faith. And I really admire him because his faith in God and the belief that things would unfold the way they were supposed to is admirable and it's aspirational. Faith is an interesting concept. It's not tangible. It's all in the head or maybe the soul and maybe the heart as well. Rambam Maimonides, my medieval go-to guy, he listed 13 principles of faith. His first principle is God exists. God is tamim, God is perfect in every way, eternal, and the cause of all that exists. All other beings depend upon God for their existence. That's principle one. His 12th principle is probably the most popular. Anima amin be'emunash mashiach. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Mashiach. And though he tarry, and though he takes a while, I will patiently wait. The days of the Mashiach coming, that is the 12th principle. And I believe it's going to happen. I'm not sure if I want it to happen in my lifetime per se, because I don't really want to return to animal sacrifices, but I have faith that the Mashiach will come. And that is why I open the door at every Pesach Seder. From where did I get my faith? Why do I have faith? 
I'm not really sure. (laughs) I thought about it a lot this week. And I don't know where I got it from, but I know it's inside of me. Rabbi Leora Kay writes, People often define faith as believing in something even if you have no proof. Or, in a little bit more sophisticated language, Rabbi Shimon Gershon Rosenberg said, Faith belongs to the subjective plane while truth reflects objective cognition. Both of those definitions work for me because yes, faith is subjective. When I think of people of faith, I often conjure up a man from the Talmud whose name is Nahum Ishgamzu. He was the kind of person for whom the expression, the Yiddish expression, Oy nebach, with a frown and a shake of the head, was created. You say, Nachum Ishgamzu, and you say, Oy nebach. This is how Nachum Ishgamzu is described in the Talmud. He was blind in both eyes, both of his arms were amputated, both of his legs were amputated, and his entire body was covered in boils. And he was lying in a dilapidated house, and the legs of his bed were placed in buckets of water so that ants should not climb onto him. He was called Ishgamzu because he was known to say, with that life, Gamzu Latova. This too is for the good. He said it all the time. That was his catchphrase. But it also encapsulated his faith. He was blind with no arms and no legs, and he was covered in boils. But he had faith in God. He knew God had a plan. He had faith in that concept. In the Tanakh and in rabbinic writings, we encounter many people of deep faith, like Nehemiah and like Nachum Ishgamzu. Esther had faith. Ruth, who we're going to read about on Shavuot in a few weeks, had faith. Avraham, oof, he had faith in spades. But faith is not just for individuals. There are examples when the entire people voiced their faith. In Shmot chapter 14, immediately before the Song of the Sea, the preamble verse is, Vayar Israel et hayar hagdola asher asa Adonai b'mitzrayim, Vayar uha'am et Adonai, Vayaminu b'adonai uvimoshe avdo. When all of the people Israel saw the wondrous power which God had wielded against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. They had faith in God and in his servant Moses. At that precise moment, they all had faith. But if you read the Torah regularly, you know they didn't always have it. There are a few verses in this week's Parsha, in Parshat Bahar, that anticipate a potential lack of faith. As Davin mentioned earlier, this year is a Shemitah year. It's a sabbatical year. We learn in the Parsha that people aren't allowed to plant or prune or harvest during the Shemitah year. In Mishnah Shavi'it, almost all of the other farm work is forbidden as well, including tasks, 
like removing stones or even fertilizing soil. Fruits and vegetables that grow during Shemitah are considered to have a Kedushat Shavit, a holiness of the seventh year. And we're not supposed to buy or sell anything that has this Kedushat Shavit. This anticipatory lack of faith appears in chapter 25, Pasuk Kaf, verse 20. After a description of the Shemitah laws, we come across the following. And should you ask, Manochal, Bashanah Hashvi'it, what are we to eat in the seventh year if we may neither sow nor gather in our crops? The answer immediately appears in the next verse. Vitziviti et birchati lachem bashanah hashishit asat et hatfua lishlosh hashanim. God replied, I will ordain my blessing for you in the sixth year so that it shall yield a crop sufficient for three years. God says, don't worry, I got you covered in this system. Now, I'm a card-carrying urban dweller, and I'm not really a gardener. I mean, when I was younger, I would help my dad with zucchinis and tomatoes and cucumbers that we would plant at the cottage, but I don't know so much from this. But even with my minimal exposure to agricultural societies, even I could understand the motivation that the Israelites would have to ask that question because they had just been told, In the seventh year, the land shall have a Shabbat of complete rest, a Shabbat of Adonai. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. What were they to do? According to a wonderful source material from the Jewish eco-organization Chazon, taking one year off from seeding directly affects three years worth of food supply. Year six needs an abundant harvest to also cover the next year. Year seven is a fallow period. And year eight, or year one in the Shemitah cycle, should begin with a replenished harvest from the seventh year, in which case there would not be available fresh food until the first planting of the eighth year is harvested. So this anticipatory verse, what are we to eat in the seventh year if we may neither sow nor gather in our crops, it's a real concern because it could ruin the entire agricultural cycle. And so to ask this sort of question, it's human nature, no? What are we gonna do? What does this text tell us about how the people might have felt about the rules of Shemitah? And what's the answer? One answer is, take a deep breath, stop the catastrophic approach to the world, and have some faith. The entire Shemitah process is based on faith that God will provide and that it'll all work out. But why do we even need this process? 
Why do we need Shemitah and Yovel and letting the land rest at the seven years and at the 50 years? The medieval author, the Sefer HaChinuch, he offered four different purposes for the mitzvah of Shemitah. The first is to train the farmers in the inner attributes of yielding and relinquishing to refine character. A second reason was to highlight that one's prosperity and sustenance actually comes from God and are not the results of our own human efforts. The third explanation, which is probably the most obvious, is that Shemitah, like Shabbat, is a reminder that God created the earth in six and rested on the seventh. And the final benefit of Shemitah, according to the Sefer HaChinuch, is that it increases one's trust in God. Shemitah is a test of faith. This entire cycle that we read about in this week's Parsha and in Sefer Shemot and in Devarim is a test of faith. Following the revelation on Mount Sinai, when all of Israel received the Ten Commandments, Moshe offered further guidance while reading from the Book of the Covenant. Upon his conclusion, the tribes of Israel, they famously responded, We will do and then we will listen. This Midrash from the 4th century Mechilta. Moses took the book of the covenant and read so that the people could hear. And they said, We will do and we will listen. Rabbi Ishmael asked, From where did Moshe begin to read? He started reading, of all things, about the laws of Shemitah. Or more specifically, the verse from our Parsha this week. When you settle the land, the land shall observe a Shabbat of the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, but in the seventh year the land should have a complete rest. And then Moses concluded with, these are the laws, the statutes, the teaching. And all of the people of Israel said, all right, we accept. And when Moshe saw that they had received it upon themselves, he said, all right, you're prepared. Tomorrow, come and receive the rest of the laws upon yourselves. For the people making this commitment when they entered a new land where they knew nothing about what the land was like, that was a commitment to enter a relationship with the Shemitah cycle. That was a commitment that showed their faith. We can learn a lot from the Israelites at that occasion. Mizmor Shir Liyom HaShabbat Tov lehodot l'adonai, ulezamer l'shimcha elyon, lehagid baboker chazdecha, v'emunatcha baleilot. A psalm, a song for the Shabbat day, it's good to praise God, to sing hymns to your great name, to proclaim your chesed, your loving kindness at daybreak, and your emunah, your faith each night. Praising God in the morning for allowing us to wake up is pretty easy because, well, we've woken up. Praising God at night 
so that we wake up the next morning, that takes a little bit more faith. But try it. Be like the Israelites. Shabbat Shalom.